Hey, y'all. Welcome to Fired Up, where we go behind the gates and beyond the numbers to keep sports fans coming back for more. Fired Up is an original podcast from Ignite Fan Insights, and we are proud to be powered by NASCAR. (laughs) Our interview today is with Ron Seaver, who heads up the National Sports Forum, an event that's held once a year that brings together folks that make all of your favorite sporting events happen. You know, it's the behind the scenes um, guys in marketing and fan engagement that uh, um, that really pe- keep the people coming. So, uh, Ron, I'll let you take it from here. Why don't you tell the good folks a little bit about yourself and give them a much better definition of the National Sports Forum than I just did? Well, no, I, I, well thank you very much, Chris. I appreciate that. Um, and thank you very much for inviting me to come out and do this. We are honored and very pleased uh, not only to do this, but to have you know Design Sensory Intelligence as one of our partners uh, for the last couple of years, including the one that's coming up here in a few weeks uh, in Atlanta. Uh, so to answer your question, a quick background, like a lot of people, uh, I'm, I'm started as a sports fan, um, huge sports fan. I'm actually from New Hampshire. I live in San Diego now because, well, if you have to ask why, then you haven't spent some time in February or January in New Hampshire. Um, But, you know, I migrated out here, gosh, a long time ago and uh, went to, you know, I eventually decided after I was one of those guys that had eight jobs my first five years out of college. I would tell people that I'm chronically unemployable. And uh, I don't think anybody would argue with that. But I did a little bit of everything after college, not sure what I wanted to do. And eventually, I just decided, you know, if I'm going to do something and probably not get rich at it, I might as well do something that I really, really feel passionate about. And for me, that was sports, in particular baseball. I grew up a staunch, I still am, staunch Red Sox fan, uh, but Patriots, Bruins, Celtics. Uh, And the other thing that's interesting, if you've ever spent time out here in San Diego, is that none of us that live in San Diego are from San Diego. We're all from someplace else. So, you know, I'm not alone. There's a bunch of uh, Boston fans out here as well. But once I got out here and to go to work, you know, in sports, um, I called up the San Diego Padres on a complete whim. Uh, And this is, oh, gosh, probably 1982. I hate to say it, guys, Uh but I'm old. So, you know, and I... I proceeded, I had no idea what to say. So I proceeded to have what I call verbal diarrhea on this poor woman who answered the phone. And she just started laughing at me and said, I think I know, you know, she asked me what department to send me to. And I didn't know. I said, you guys have departments? And she goes, yeah, we're just like a real business down here. And I thought, well, I probably had that one coming. And so she sends me to the sales department. And like so many people in the industry, I started out in ticket sales you know, making phone calls, smiling and dialing. And I did that, not particularly well, I might add. Uh, I was, you know, because I was too much into, if you're going to be good at that business, it's a numbers game. You just got to pound the phones. And the guys who are really good at it are really good at it. Me, I want to talk to everybody. So it's like, hey, so what do you, you know, and I'm not making my numbers. I'm not making enough phone calls, but I'm making a lot of friends, you know, and Unfortunately, at that time, the Padres weren't particularly good. Uh, I hate to say it, but in our illustrious history at the Pods, we're not the 27-time world champion Yankees. Um, We're still looking for number one. Uh, In fact, I just saw a stat this morning that uh, we currently have the record in Major League Baseball for most years not even making the playoffs. 
So, you know, again, Ouch. we last made it in 2006. So I guess if we're going to be number one, we're number one at that. So <laughs> in a case, you know, but trying to sell a team, particularly in a market that not everybody grew up here, this isn't like 27 generations of Cubs fans. Most of these people are like, you know, they've only, they're themselves. They might've grown up a Phillies fan or a Mets fan. So trying to convince them to come out and see, you know, relatively mediocre baseball in those days was kind of yeah. a tough sale. And, and so, but I stuck with it. I mean, that's the one thing they liked. They said, you know, you're not very good at it, but damn, you're the first guy here and the last guy to go and you're going to get through it. And, you know, we like that. Uh, but as quickly as I could, I wanted to move out of that department because I just wasn't good at it. And I went into, in those days, it was promotions. Uh, because we didn't have sponsorship departments then, and we just had promotions, and those were relatively new. And so my job was to do the promotions for the San Diego Padres. Uh, and so I started working for the Pods in 83, and then I was with them all the way through the end of 1990. Uh, and, you know, along the way, uh, you know, it's very interesting because doing what you do where you've got to fill up the promotions calendar, you got to go get sponsors and stuff. There weren't a lot of people in our organization in those days that did that. So the neat thing was Major League Baseball used to have these meetings once a year, uh, usually right around Halloween, after the World Series is over, uh, where they bring all the promotions and marketing folks together, and we would share best practices. I mean, we didn't even mm -hmm. call it best practices in those days. We just, you know, just, just talking to each other, kibitzing. And you found us just, I mean, all of a sudden, was I ever in my element? I loved it. Just sharing ideas with my counterpart at the Cubs and Montreal and the, the, the uh, Toronto Blue Jays and San Francisco Giants. Guys that I'm friends with, many of these guys to this day. Um, mm -hmm. We all just really hit it off. And, you know, this, I, I used to think these meetings were unbelievably helpful. Uh, you know, ideas that are working, ideas that aren't working are good, too. You know, I don't want to step on that. So it became one of those things where after many, many years of going to it, and because I loved it so much, I started, you know, like, wondering, well, I, I wonder if I could go to the NBA meetings and find out what they do, or could I go to the NFL mm -hmm. meetings? And, and, and the reality, I mean, I started poking around, and, and here's the truth. You can't. If you're a Major League Baseball executive, you are not invited to the NHL meetings. You know, and it makes sense. They're not invited to ours. It's everything is kind of you'll see that it, it becomes very territorial and for understandable reasons. You know, it's like baseball in one room and basketball in another room. So and never the twain shall meet. So as somebody who is in the industry of trying to raise revenue, because at the end of the day, um, my feeling was I'm not in the baseball business. I'm in the ticket sales business. My job is to figure out ways to so that the ticket sales guys can sell tickets. And for us in San Diego, if I can have a fireworks show or a post-game concert or give away a baseball hat, man, that would really boost our attendance. So my job was to do as many of those as I could. Um, so I needed ideas. You know, after a while, people go, yeah, I don't need another one of these. But, you know, hey, this is working for the Cardinals. Or... And so the thought was, I wonder if I could pick out some ideas from the NHL or NASCAR. Or, I mean, they're doing what I'm – they're in the ticket sales business. You know, their job is to sell sponsorship. Their business is exactly like mine. They just use a different ball. And, and so the thought was, is like, you know, could we ever launch this? And so that became, you know, somebody, it started out weirdly enough as, as Chris and Brad, it started out as a, uh, somebody ought to idea, you know, somebody ought to start a meeting and bring all of us together. 
No, I love that it's a somebody ought to idea because I think that what makes so many things successful and is that when somebody stands up and who's gonna and somebody says, well, somebody ought to. And when somebody takes that upon themselves and you take that responsibility, right? Because I, I feel like what you're talking about here, being in your element and finding, you know, your people, right? And then seeing those opportunities that the NHL, the NBA, um, MLB, all these sports, like, in fact, um, while they may be, you know, competition in some ways, a rising tide raises all boats, right? So why wouldn't you want to share, um, like you say, you didn't call them best practices back then, but why wouldn't you want to share the things that you're doing that are working, Right. What did you just say? A rising tide what? Raises all boats, man. Man, you're just a wise old sage. I, I did. did. I've been <laughs> it's a, and a beard a beard to match, Mon Frere. But you know, to, to your point, Chris, I mean it's true. You know, you can even see that within baseball. While we may compete with each other on the field, we don't compete in the front office. And and so it's like it's not like if you give me your season ticket brochure, I'm going to start marketing to your to your fans and get them to not go to the Dodgers game, but to drive two and a half hours down to San Diego. It's not going to happen. So share with me. I'll share with you. And like you said, the boats go up um, in the case. Same with sponsors. If, if I'm trying to get into, let's say, a bank. Let Wells Fargo Bank. I'm trying to talk to somebody at Wells Fargo Bank, but I can't seem to find how do I get in. But I know that you're doing it at the San Francisco Giants, you know, and I can call and say, hey, who are you talking to? They'll give me the name and number because it's not like if I strike a deal with Wells Fargo. If Wells Fargo wants to open up checking accounts in San Francisco. They're not going to accomplish that by sponsoring the San Diego Padres. So if that's mm-hmm. true in baseball, there's no competition across sports. Why wouldn't the Rams trade ideas with me or, I don't know, the New York Knicks? Because um, I'm going to trade ideas with them. And, I mean, as soon as you can get over the fact that you're basketball and I'm baseball, man, it, it, and, and that's a, I say that because you're probably going to ask me how it started. And it didn't start well. I mean, the thing that very few people know is that we're about to celebrate our 25th anniversary. And truth be told, it should be our 26th. But because 26 okay. years ago, I tried to launch this and, and I got 10 really top-notch speakers. I mean, presidents, owners. I mean, we had some really good speakers willing to come out and talk. And, and this was before the Internet was all – I mean, fax machines were cutting edge in those days, guys. So, you know, it wasn't like we had instantaneous communication. You know, FedEx overnights were like, ooh, you know. And, and so, you know, for us, you know, the, the thought was, you know, I'm going to market. And I sent out more letters and brochures and one sheets. And at the end of the day, we had one week to go. And I had exactly three people signed up to come. Oh and I thought, guys, I, I mean, there's got to be a law that you can't have a meeting with three times as many speakers as you have attendees. <laughs> so I had to call. I mean, this was this was tough. This was tough. And then I'll tell you what was tougher. The tough part was calling all of the speakers and telling them that I couldn't get it done. And the tougher part was telling my wife um, because... <laughs> I owed everybody and their brother money, including the hotel. I owed them like $65,000 and, you know, they weren't willing to go, oh, well, you tried. So um, there's no, there's no mulligan on that? 
<laughs> no, like, hey, why don't you try this again next year? No, they don't kind of work that way. So, you know, I was trying to, you know, because when I told my wife and, and I said, yeah, I'm not going to be able to do this. I had been working on this for six months, hadn't brought in a dime because this was going to be it. I mean, this was this is my million dollar idea. And I started working on it. So I hadn't brought any money in. And now I had to tell her that not only did I not do it, but now you know, I owed over a hundred thousand dollars. And she said, you know, what are you going to do next? And I said, well, I, I'm going to do it again. And she goes, please dear, tell me you're not serious. And I go, yeah, no, I, I'm going to do this again. And she thought, why you had three people. And of course, being a guy, you know, of course I'm like, well, because it's a good idea, damn it. Right. You know, and it was like, yeah, she had the best line. She goes, you know, bankruptcy court is full of guys with good ideas. And, you know, I thought such a good burn. (laughs) So she swears to this day that she never said that. But I don't know. I think that's something you. Yeah, you you remember that one. That was, but she, hey, look, I don't blame her. I'd be, I don't think I'd be sleeping either. And, you know, she, she would tell me later, she used to walk around the house and write down all the things she thought she could sell. You know, like how much could we get for the dining room table? How much could we get for the chairs? And uh, I was like, boy, I'm glad you didn't tell me that then. You know, I was like, I would have just, I, I was having a hard enough time sleeping, but, you know, knowing that it was just taking it out on you. And we had three little kids in those days. So uh, not exactly the way I would draw it up, guys. So right now, so you've got three kids. You have a wife that is, I would say, very reasonably concerned at this point. <laughs> but like, it seems, it seems like the idea has has stuck, has struck such a chord with you. Um, so what happens year two? What would now become year one that made it work? What was the difference? Well, I mean, now I had a year. And I think the biggest difference, honestly, was there were a number of guys that I knew in the business that I had talked to, you know, ahead of time and said, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think? And they go, hey, great idea. Of course, they didn't sign up to come, but they all thought it was a great idea because they probably didn't want to tell me, boy, that's a dumb idea. Um, (laughs) My mentor, I will say this, my mentor at the San Diego Padres, a man I respect, my best man in my wedding, Uncle Andy to my kids, he did take me out to lunch before I went down this road and they had me explain it. And he said, you know, you've worked for me for most of your career. And I said, yes, I have. And he said, in all that time, you've come up with some incredibly stupid ideas. And it wasn't quite what I thought he was going to say. And I'm like, okay. Very much. (laughs) And he said, uh, he goes, but this is easily the dumbest idea you've ever come up with. And I'm like, "Why, why do you say that? And he said, look, Major League Baseball execs and minor league baseball execs don't get together and they share the same commissioner. And, you know, what would ever make you think that the NBA would sit down with the NHL? At least, you know, he was looking at it clearly. Um, But to answer your question, you know, I was one of those guys that if you want me to do something, tell me I can't do it. You know, Mm -hmm. like if my folks say, hey, whatever you do, don't get an A on this test. Well, damn it, I'll show you. I'll go get an A on this test. And so, you know, this was one of those deals where I thought, well, I'm going to go out. This is a good idea. I'm going I'm to prove to everybody I can do it. So after it crashed and burned, um, I went back to a lot of the guys that I had spoken to, and I called them and I said, hey, um, remember that idea I was telling you about, you know, this conference? Yeah, yeah. 
whatever happened. Well, I didn't do it. Uh, we couldn't get people to come. Um, so let me ask you, I'm thinking about doing it again. Now, I may be crazy, but I'm putting together a steering committee. Uh, this time I'm going to do it with the help of other people. I'll put together maybe, I don't know, I think I had nine people on the steering committee just to help me. And and here's the thing. You don't have to do anything. Just I think if people can see that so-and-so from the Boston Red Sox is involved and so-and-so from the Phillies is involved, if they don't know me, but they do know you and they certainly know the Phillies. So, you know, I, it'll give us some credibility. Sure, go ahead. And so, you know, little by little, we have that steering committee, not those same people, but the steering committee concept still drives the NSF. It's still very much the fraternity, the forum, uh, the forum family, uh, and the steering committee does have more obligations now. Uh, but there, and there's 25 people on it now. Um, but okay. in those days, I mean, that was probably the biggest difference because the next year, I mean, not that this was astronomical, but we went from having three people. <laughs> excuse me. The next year, we we had 32. And of okay. course, we still lost a whole bunch of money. And my wife is, is saying to me, please, dear God, tell me you've got this out of your system. And again, being a guy, I said, well, what do you mean? We have 10 times as many people as we had last year. <laughs> so, you know, we stayed with it. I, I got to be honest with you, gents. You know, we lost, looking back on it, we, I don't know why I stayed with it. We lost money on this thing for seven straight years. I mean, we just, it cost more and let alone the cost to keep the lights on and people paid. Um, but for seven years, we went at this thing and each year we'd lose a little bit less money. And I was trying to convince my wife to A, stay with me, uh, not take the kids and go to her mother's house. Um, but B, you know, that, hey, we're making progress here. You know, it's like now we're not hemorrhaging, you know, in six figures, we're hemorrhaging in five, you know, and, and so it didn't take, it didn't start to take off a little. It's really started to come back around 2003. And, and since then, or yeah, man. And, and since then, I mean, it has, it has grown. Um, so how many people it's 2020. I still, although, you know, like when I say 10 years ago, I still think it's 1990. You know what I mean? No. So what it age, I'm come on, man. <laughs> Okay, but in the 25 years since it's been founded, so you started, you went from three to 32 to like how many people are going to be there? Uh, how many people are going to be there in 2020? We had last year, I don't know, because they're still coming in, but we had last year uh, just over a thousand, about uh, 1060, I think, last year. So I don't know if it'll, we were in Las Vegas and it's tough to, to you know, match the enthusiasm of, of Las Vegas, but we'll be close. I don't know that we'll be over that, but I think we'll be, uh, it, it, believe me, it'll definitely feel like that. Man, that's just, I always love, I mean, obviously you went through some tough times to make sure that this finds its footing and finds its place in the sports world. Um, and one of the things that you and the, your cohorts have probably seen over this past quarter century is a lot of changes um, in the business of sports right um in the time that you have founded the national sports forum i mean the internet started you know i mean there's so much what have you seen um in your experience that have been some of the most significant changes um some of the most significant opportunities and challenges you know uh, but before i answer that question chris the one thing i'll say that's the same that still has never changed is the need the demand to sell tickets 
I mean, you know, the concept that started us back in 1996 is still what brings people to the forum now. And that's just figure out various and sundry ways to use the elements that we have to get the fans off the couch, get them into the game, get them coming back, keeping them entertained, win, lose, or draw. Uh, I mean, just the whole entertainment package. That still is the same issues that we're dealing with today as we are dealing with. And we'll probably 25 years from now still be dealing with. But to answer your question specifically, and I think you touched on it, obviously the biggest change for us is is the advent of more technology. Uh, You know, we're no longer doing business over fax machines. Um, You know, for us, uh, the Internet, digital, you know, uh, it's just completely changed the way that you're able to not only engage with people, but to stay engaged with them. I mean, the importance now isn't so much once you get a fan, don't let them go on the last game. Keep them engaged. Keep talking to them. Keep them. Keep them within the the herd, if you would, during the off season. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can see all the. I, I think the NFL. Look what they do with the draft, and and how what a spectacle that is. The draft used to be nothing. I mean, it used to happen, and you'd read about it the next day. You know, the NBA does a great job with the draft. Uh, I mean, they're all just you know, as people are just. If you're a fan, you can't get enough information on your team so whether it's talking about tonight's game or the first round draft pick or who you're going to trade or you know who's going to play third base or be the quarterback next year uh, fans just eat it up uh, and and it just doesn't seem to end so for us being able to, to have technology uh, at our at our fingertips videos you know that you can stream now and people can see things instantaneously um, for us within the forum now the one thing I would say we built the forum and we maintain it around what we call the four pillars so the four okay. pillars of the forum are ticket sales sponsorship business development and marketing so within those four pillars so anytime we're going to tackle a topic you know, it's got to resonate on one or more of those pillars. So, mm-hmm. and that's kept us kind of true to school, if you would. Uh, and, and it does give you a lot of flexibility. Uh, and I'll explain. But, you know, the, the, the siren song of like jumping into broadcasting or licensing, merchandise, not mm-hmm. in those four pillars. You know, we will oftentimes get people with great ideas to have a session that's around community relations. And it's like, not that it's a bad thing, it's a great thing. But unless you can show me how this community relations program is selling tickets or activating a sponsorship, doesn't fit within the four pillars. So within the four pillars, though, you still, and this is to answer your question, you have a lot of latitude. It's expanded. And that is that, uh, I mean, we have programs on, on customer retention, you know, uh, renewals. Uh, and we mm-hmm. have sessions on esports. Sessions on sports gaming is a topic now that we weren't talking about, I don't know, three years ago, let alone 25 years ago. But, you know, as, as the industry evolves in business, non-traditional revenue is one of our fastest growing. So, so many of the, of the people who attend the forum, and it's primarily ball clubs and sports properties, so many of those guys, what are you doing tonight if you're not playing a basketball game? What could you be doing in your arena that could help generate revenue? Um, you know, because there's only so many games you have and so many tickets you can sell. But what if you could make that building make money for you 52 weeks a year instead of just, you know, 30 weeks a year? 
So mm-hmm. non-traditional revenue is, is an avenue uh, because it resonates off of our business development pillar. So all of these things have started to come in that we didn't used to have uh, back when back in the old days. Uh, you know, you might have a front office with 50 people in it. That front office today has 250 people in it. Uh, and, and I'm just talking about non-player development. I'm talking about people that are working in all various levels of revenue mm-hmm. generation, whether it's, you know, partnership activation, sponsorship fulfillment. Uh, it could be social and digital media. Uh, all of these things, in addition to ticket sales, groups, seasons, inside sales, things of that nature, the, the organizations have gotten so much more, you know, micro uh, in terms of how they're generating different buckets of revenue. And we try to make a place for all of those folks at the forum. Well, talk to me a little bit about, a little bit more about um, non-traditional revenue, stuff like esports, right, which has just become like, alive in the past several years and how it's affecting um just how it's affecting teams from all over the the country you're speaking my language ron i love esports <laughs> yeah it, it's it's an interesting um exercise because frankly you know a lot of the owners jumped in relatively early bought franchises leagues you know came online and said we're going to do something and you know you get an owner that comes to your desk and says well, I just dropped $50 million on an Overwatch franchise. And of course, I'm looking at you going, and what is Overwatch? And, you know, they, and they're saying, you know, now make this thing work. And I'm sitting there trying to figure out, first of all, what the heck is it? And then secondly, you know, how does this work into my product? But, but seriously, though, if you think about it, when you look at the numbers of consumers, particularly the next generation consumers that are following esports, it's staggering. I mean, the numbers just, they, they don't lie. So these are fans that these are, well, they're not fans yet. Uh, mo- many of them are consumers uh, that might sit there and play. They could play FIFA on their mm-hmm. Xbox all day long and never go to an MLS game. Well, I want you out to the game. If you think that's fun, wait until you see the real thing. So if we can't get them to come to us, we should go to them. We should speak and try to develop and cultivate if it's NBA 2K. And and here's the thing. A lot of the players themselves in their downtime between games or on the road, they love to play NBA 2K. So all of a sudden, Steph Curry is my team manager, you know, of my team. And we're going up against somebody. I'm not six seven. I can't dunk the ball, but I haven't. You should see me. I'm a whiz on NBA 2K. <laughs> Creating a dialogue and a connection that heretofore wasn't existing. So there's something there. But one of the things that we're trying to do at the forum, it's still re- we're still relatively in our infancy because we're trying to answer the question. Okay, now what? I mean, I have a I have a franchise. You know, we're, we're starting to come online. What are you doing? Well, what are you guys doing? What's happening over here? Let's talk to some of the sponsors. You know, you're the, the endemic ones make a lot of sense. But what about the non-endemic ones? You know, it's like, now, why are you spending money on esports? Okay. So having said that, do you want to spend it with my team? You know, we have this, we have this ability to not only connect you with our ongoing fans, but now we can get into that next generation of fans that are in their teens, early 20s. I mean, there's no, you know, there's a sweet spot for it, but there's people that, you know, are in their 40s, 50s, and 60s 
uh, playing the games. And, and so you're going to see this continue to develop. We love to bring out some of the teams themselves uh, to come and speak uh, on what they're doing and give us an idea. You know, what's next? What's in store for us? How can we be kind of connecting the dots between the esports fan and our product? How can we get them in to engage with us? Well, and to kind of follow up on that, I like what you're saying about um, not taking your audience for granted. You go where your audience is because um, you're talking about the Padres, right? Like not the cream of the crop, not the top of the pyramid, um, but you're a fan. And you are going to remain a fan regardless of a winning season. You may yell and scream at the TV. Um, but I think that taking that audience into account, what are they doing? What are they engaging with and why? Um, what do you see as that future of, um, you know, the future of fan engagements? Like what, what, is, what have folks been doing to take that teen, that early 20s, um, person that may be into esports to get them to the seats to get them you know to the um to the live events and kind of a follow-up question is there a sweet spot um you know i mean i when i was a kid my dad loves loved the cowboys i still love the cowboys i'm sorry brad You're a cowboys fan i'm not a cow i'm How just did i not know this you, you hid that from me the whole time this whole time we've, it's never come up until we've now we've lived a lie this whole time <laughs> But do you find, like, if you can engage somebody with value and with fun, um, you know, at that teen, early 20s, is that a sweet spot? And how are you doing it? Or how do you find that folks are doing it and engaging? Well, I'm going to answer the first question first, because it kind of slides into the second one. And, and that is, you know, the difference in how do you engage with, let's say, the younger fan versus the older fan. Uh, I'm an older fan. I'm in my 60s. So uh, I should qualify that as I'm an old geezer. Uh, but I'm from the maybe the old school or traditional line of thought. And we grew up watching you know, we were happy to be spectators and cheer and root and holler and, you know, and, and wear our T-shirts and, and, you know, support our, our franchise. And, and that's great. Um, but what we're discovering as we get into the next generation, that's not necessarily enough for them. This is a much more engaged um, group of, of consumer. Uh, they want experiences. They want to feel like they're part of it. Mm -hmm. They don't necessarily want to sit there and watch it so much as they want to engage in it. And so, you know, having esports to your question is like it allows them to actually play the game. Uh, I mean, I, I can't I, I'll go to a bunch of Padre games and watch them. But to this point, they've still not asked me to play second base. Your time's coming, man. <laughs> it's coming. But, you know, to that point, if I if I was, you know, definitely a gamer, you know, not only can I, I can play a season. And I can play well because I know what I'm doing. So you can find that, you know, for them, it's got to be more than just sitting there watching it. So it could be, you know, behind it, if it's not esports, there's other things that we can do at the uh, facility uh, or during the course of the year. You know, meet and greets and get cl clinics and, and uh, opportunities to do social engagement. You know, meet me at such and such a place where you can really start to find because they want to meet. They want to know the players. It's not enough just to watch and be a fan. I would love to think like I'm friends with that person. You know, maybe I'm one of a million friends with them. But, you know, like I said, Steph Curry <laughs> coaches my team, you know, and, and so I feel a higher level of engagement and involvement with that particular team and that particular player. 
So, you know, to that, that's a big difference now is that we're finding that experiences is so much more uh, of, a, of a relevant um, sticking point, marketing point, uh, when you're talking to people. Uh, and, and it could be engaging with them on social media. It doesn't necessarily have to be on site, uh, but it's making sure that they are part of the story, you know, part of the game, part of the role, uh, instead of necessarily just watching it. it hopefully so that makes sense. No, I, I absolutely, absolutely love it. Like making the fan part of the story. Um, I think is just uh, that's probably the most well put um, way that you can say that for for folks that want to um, to engage and uh, you know um, so we know now a little bit more about what it takes to bring people in um, and get them to engage and the efforts that folks are taking. What do you see as like one of the big threats? to live attendance, to live sports? What, do you, what, are some of the, uh, what are some of the threats that folks are dealing with? Well, I, the easy answer to that is to, is to say that, you know, uh, the proliferation of broadcasting, whether it's over the air or it's streaming, you know, when, when people, the, the one thing I think we obviously have to be very, very cognizant of is making sure that we're not pricing our tickets out of the market. And I'm not telling you anything you haven't already heard, uh, but it can be very, very expensive uh, to get fans to come out and, and use their discretionary income, particularly when they can watch it on their first or second or third device uh, and not have to stand in line for beer or the restroom. So we have to do more than just, you know, be a seat. Mm. You know, we have to have, there's got to be something more to being at the event than just necessarily did you win or lose or how many points did this guy get. Um, and so it, it, it's got to be a whole show. And it starts, you know, an hour before the event and it goes on for an hour after the event. Uh, and it could be in some of the clubs that you offer. You've seen food upgraded across the board. I mean, I'm old enough to remember that, you know, your average didn't make any difference what concession stands you went to. You had a hot dog, a hamburger, popcorn, and maybe <laughs> nachos if it was if it was exotic. Um, you know, but now, of course, you know, you can some of the finest restaurants, you know, in town are in the stadium. You know, they, they have a branch in there. And, and mm-hmm. so people can have any experience for whatever the price point. That's important because, you know, going to a game should be an event. It should be something fun that the kids are all excited about. Uh, and it should be so much more than just necessarily, you know, four quarters, three periods or nine innings. Uh, you, you want to make sure that, that this is something they want to come back to again and again. Now, having said that, the biggest threat, of course, is anything that keeps them from coming back. You know, have, have we seen what we're seeing out there is that stadiums and arenas seem to be getting smaller instead of larger. And part of that mm-hmm. is a, as a result of the market. Uh, I mean, the broadcast revenue you just can't turn that away. You know, uh, I'm old enough to remember when, you know, the cardinal rule was you don't televise your home games because people won't go. Now you get, you know, everybody's televising home and away. Uh, It's a two and a half hour commercial for your product, but it does give you two and a half hours to explain, show the fans what they're missing, not just necessarily the game, but why it's got to be such a fun event to be able to come out it's a family event. It's family fun. Uh, you know, there's not a whole lot of those that are out there. So you want to make sure that, that, you know, they have a big experience. You don't want to be broadcasting empty and empty seats. Nobody likes that, including your sponsors. 
So you want to right size your ballpark. You got to dress them right. Uh, bring the fans together. You know, make sure the television helps to compliment you instead of hurt you. I hate when they do those pull away shots and you can practically count the fans in the seats. Uh, and, and of course, you know, there's, there's no promotion that succeeds like winning, but technically I guess there's only one winner and the rest of us would be losers. So, you know, you can't necessarily plan in your marketing plan to win the Stanley cup. You know, you have to plan that, Hey, you're not. So plan accordingly, you know, build your promotions calendar wisely, uh, get your sponsors involved, make sure that they stay involved. And for all purposes, what can you do to bring the fans out and keep them coming out? And so if that might be ticket packaging, I see memberships. I think the Oakland A's are, are really a cutting edge organization uh, where they're doing away with season tickets, full season tickets. The likelihood of people buying 81 games is not there. So instead, you know, kind of following the membership model, you can buy a membership for the month of May or June and just come to your guaranteed a seat at all the home games in June. So if you're, you know, if you're just in the market uh, for the summer or, you know, you want to get out there early, but the team falls off, you're not, you know, you're not committed. There's nothing worse than a drawer full of tickets you didn't use. So now you can kind of pay as you go, so to speak. So they're, they're getting very innovative now, uh, and they're also very good. The teams are becoming better and better at, at analytics, not necessarily – I mean, they're great at performance analytics, the billy ball that we've seen. But oh, yeah. now, obviously, the, the consumer analytics, you know, who is, who's a fan and who looks like that fan that maybe I'm not getting yet. Let me figure out how to get a hold of that person. Oh, that's, well, that's music to our ears, my friend. <laughs> Full circle. Well, <laughs> hey, yeah. Well, hey, I want to um, I wanna be uh, uh, friendly with your time, and so I've just got a couple of more questions. Um, and that first question is that I've, I've got to ask uh, is after, I mean, starting all of this, you don't put this much effort, this much time, this much of your life into something if you're not a fan yourself. Right, like you're talking about the Padres, um, you're talking, uh, you know, about bringing people um, not just to events, but bringing them into the story and making them fans. Um, what is personally one of your favorite experiences as a professional or just as a fan over the years that you've been involved in sports? Well, as I mentioned, as a kid growing up in New Hampshire, I mean, we live probably a little over an hour to Fenway Park. So I, I will never forget when I was whew, probably 10 years old, my dad took me out of school. He had tickets for opening day, Red Sox against Baltimore. Isn't that scary? I remember that. I also remember we didn't win, but I couldn't <laughs> tell you the final score. But it was like, and I remember the first time that I walked through, you know, he's taking me into Boston, which is exciting in itself. And now we go to this old building called brick and it looks, you know, very cool. And you can hear the organ playing inside. And then you walk through the vomitory into your seats, right? And you see the greenest grass you've ever seen in your whole life. This place looks like the biggest place you've ever seen. And I got to tell you, I will never forget that feeling. Um, so as a fan, as a 10 year old fan, I was hooked. I mean, I just absolutely loved it. Now in 1967, Kari Yastrzemski became, he, he was a triple crown winner that year. Uh, I've never met the man. I would love to, um, but I just, I, Yaz was the guy. So everybody, you know, we've all had favorite ball players growing up and Yaz was mine. 
Uh, and, and, and so, like I said, even years later, I, he's somebody I've never met. Uh, but I'll, I'll never forget that. Uh, in professionally in 1984. So I started, as I mentioned, in 1983, working mm-hmm. for the Padres. Uh, in 1984, all of a sudden we just turned it around and we went to the World Series. Now they've only been to the World Series twice and this was the first time and we're 50 years old. So, you know, in 1984, we just had the team. Dick Williams, uh, the old Red Sox manager in 67. He was our manager in 84 here in San Diego. And he put that, he put a great team together with Jack McKeon, our general manager. And damned if the team didn't win. And we went up against a Cubs team that was, everybody said was far better than we were. The Cubs and the Tigers that year were the two teams. They were the, you know, they had the MVPs and the Cy Young guys. And I mean, those teams were monsters. And so we were just this nice team that doesn't usually win, but oh, look, they won. So now they're going to go play the Cubs. We got crushed in the first game. I mean, by more than 10 runs. And everyone said, yeah, this is over, right? It's the best of best of five. And we fought back. We won it in the fifth game in San Diego. Uh, I mean, a moment I will never forget. Uh, and then we went on to play the Tigers, which I will forget because, yep, they crushed us in five games. <laughs> But we split the first two in what was then called Jack Murphy Stadium, uh, later become Qualcomm. And so we split the first two, went to Detroit, and they swept us. But I got to tell you, there's no – and this town is just magic. We don't have a lot of teams that win here. Uh, The weather's terrific. And did I tell you about our zoo? <laughs> and those fish tacos, man. You can't leave out the – and in and out. Fish tacos, you can't beat. But you're not, you're not coming here to watch a juggernaut. You know, and it's like – so when they do get a winner here, it's magic. It's not like, oh, ho-hum, wake me for the playoffs. No way. We don't make the playoffs. So, you know, it's like when you do get that team – and and our hopes are that the Padres this season uh, will, you know, put a competitive, you know, they're, I think they're going in the right direction. I'm still a fan to this day, uh, you know, years later. I haven't worked for them since 1990. Uh, and, you know, but I'd love to see them do well because uh, it's just great. It's great for sports. It's great for baseball. And it's certainly great for San Diego. Well, I mean, that's what it. I mean, it, what it means to be a true fan, sticking sticking there through thick and thin. Um, and then, uh, so as a as a, as the parting, our parting shot. Um, as I, mean, I could, I should come up with better sports metaphors it for sounds, like. It's almost, almost sounds dirty, like the parting shot, <laughs> the like parting the shot. the last hit, the last inning. We're at the last there inning of our interview, and. Um, to send everybody off, I always I always like to talk about um, you uh, have seen sports evolve, you have seen the fans evolve, and you're going to see what's next. So, um, tactically or strategically, what do you think is is coming up next? And to the folks out there that are trying to answer a lot of the same questions um, that you are, um, what? advice do you give somebody that's out there trying to do the best that they can to get folks in seats and to create those fans? Well, and, and the neat thing about sports is that the, the topics and the headlines, the storylines change every day. So what we're talking about today 
versus what we might be talking about two or five years from now. I mean, there may be stuff coming down the pike that I haven't even heard of. But I think as I sit here today, the thing that has that I'm really interested in seeing is the evolution and what happens to our our industry uh, via sports gaming. What's happening um, with the future? I think it's going to impact our industry, our business in so many different ways as it starts to roll out there. Uh, as you start to see uh, more of the teams, more of the states bring it online, I think the ability for fans to engage uh, and stay engaged, I think it's going to help our television ratings. I think it's going to help our ticket sales. Uh, you know, there's just something about, and we see this in football, I got 10 bucks on the game. All of a sudden, it's like, I'm in, you know, I'm watching and I'm following. And so I think that's where this is. We're going to see uh, some real interesting things start to happen in the next three to five years as fans are able to, to get involved uh, and maybe throw a couple dollars on a game. Well, I love it, man. Ron, thank you so much for joining us. And I, I think that... Um, one of the, the my favorite things that you have said out of this is show the fans what they're missing you know and if that's through esports if it's through social engagement if it is through um, experiences there at the stadium taking into account you know what what your audience needs what they need from um, from the things that um, that those of us are doing to try to to bring those butts to seats so Ron thank you very much uh, Ron Seaver from the National Sports Forum. Thank you, gentlemen. I really appreciate you letting me uh, uh, bend your ear uh, and on the podcast and very much appreciate everything you guys are doing, and we're looking forward to seeing you in Atlanta. Yeah, thanks a lot. And everybody, this has been Fired Up, a podcast from Ignite Fan Insights. Um, we are proud to be powered by NASCAR and proud to be in your ears. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, uh, please don't hesitate to subscribe, leave us a review, and tell all your friends and family about us. <laughs> thanks so much. This is Chris McAdoo and Brad Carpenter signing off. <laughs>